Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokoro Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have Dr. Justin Dean. He is a chiropractor based out of Los Angeles, California. He's a wealth of knowledge. We had a really fun conversation, and I'm just going to jump right in. So without further ado, Dr. Justin Dean. get started I was talking to our mutual friend uh, Dr. Ben Ramos today he told me to tell you hello says he doesn't doesn't talk to you nearly enough but uh, he wanted to tell you that he was thinking about you yeah totally man I uh, actually he he just texted me this morning saying okay like you doing a podcast I was like yep and uh, Ben and I man we go way back we we pretty much hung out every day all the time (laughs) in school and then our professional careers kind of took it us and then I left the country and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, totally, man. Right on. So let's uh, let's start with that then. So let's talk about your origin story. So like where, like where did you live? What made you want to be a chiropractor? How did you get there? Where did you go? And then what are your plans now? Like how are you? Uh, how has your practice kind of evolved into this point? origin story? I feel like I'm an X Men right now. You are, dude. In my in my head. You're one of those people. All right. So. all right, I gotta figure out a superhero name. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> Usually, people just call me Dean Machine. Back in, in college, at least, that was my nickname. Was Dean. Oh. That could be my X Men. I'm cool with that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Mine. Uh, so when I had um, when I was on my fight team, our uh, boxing gym was in the back corner of a warehouse that we shared with the Unified School District, mm-hmm. and so at one point they had like this whole like control panel that looked like it was going to get shipped to NASA or something. And so um, one of the guys on my fight team looked over and he pointed and said, that's you, you're mission commander. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's my nickname now. So you're (laughs) the Dean machine and I'm mission commander. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Every, uh, every podcast you do, you got to give somebody a superhero name and there you go. (laughs) <laughs> hey, we're, this that's starting right now. So this is the very first one where everybody gets yeah. their superhero name. All right, first superhero, Dean Machine. Let's do it. <laughs> I like it. All right, so my origin story, X Men style. Uh, let's yeah. see. <clears throat> I grew up in a small farming town uh, in eastern Oregon. So I um I got involved. Uh, it basically I was I uh, got involved in running, uh, particularly track and cross country uh mainly because i liked the crowd that uh, that was associated with those groups because i probably would have been i was about 165 pounds uh in in high school which is a very big distance runner as anybody in the world knows and um i was going to get involved in the wrong crowds in high school uh with the football team so i started i switched to cross country and the rest is history so i pretty much ran through college on an academic scholarship and Eastern Oregon University as well. And while my time there, we had a chiropractor that worked with us, uh, and, I, and I thought he was like a freaking ninja. You know, he just 
just you know just seeing joints but me being manipulated and 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 just how fast and quick he had to be and accurate and it, it really kind of looked intriguing to me and yeah. like you get to help people you get a you know that kind of thing so i was like mm, that kind of um goes with my like what i want to do in life because i was also working at albertson's as a grocery clerk then and i and i and i every part of my day was like every single person that came in line when you're a grocery clerk people treat you like shit you know yeah so part of my mission was to make every single person smile and that was kind of like my mission and that job and i really enjoyed it so i was like hmm. and then i was seeing the chiropractor as well and i was like wow these two things kind of go hand in hand because chiropractor you spend some time with people you try to make some positive changes in their life both clinically and emotionally and just talking to them and making a human connection so it really kind of spoke to me a little bit and that's more i switched i switched my educational path and then i started doing that i haven't looked back since so that's kind of how i got into chiropractic school and then while i was in chiropractic school um i actually had a, a a girlfriend who was um, who was a very very talented athlete that um, she was like top ten in the country kind of thing, and she kept having hip issues, and I kept taking her to diplomate sports chiropractors, and I'm not looking down on it's just it I'm not looking down on diplomates. I'm not saying it's worthless, but she wasn't being helped. Right. Uh, so I basically was confused because I was spending so much money on this doctorate to be able to help people but when i when somebody i cared about needed help there was nobody to be found right basically so <clears throat> i um i took her to philip snow actually who we'll get into that in a bit and he discovered that it was something coming from her low back a week later she was she was totally fine right so, you know, and this is after two years. Yeah. Um, because she was my girlfriend in Eastern Oregon and she transferred to Portland with me when I went to chiropractic school. So she, like, you know, that kind of thing. And also I had some hip injuries myself from, and that cost me probably three All-American titles. Right. I, would, I would just not be able to finish a race strong because my hip would just kill me. Right. So uh, I just started traveling basically the country, looking at who industry leads and experts were in the areas of manual therapy, physical rehabilitation, anything I could get my hands on. And I think I took five to seven um, seminars a quarter yeah. since my fourth quarter of school, which for context, there's only 10 weeks in a quarter. So basically 50% of the weekends of the school year, I was taking, taking some sort of course and learning and I was just going mad yeah. all day, every day, like kind of obsessive kind of style and just learning as much as I could. Yeah. And, and that's, that was my path over the last two years. I've just been going crazy. So I took, I took 10 courses last year. So that's like, yeah. And just getting after it, you know, like I'm just a massage therapist. So you know, we're only required to have 25 hours of continuing education every two years in Arizona. And I did 150 last year. So I'm like, whatever, I just need to know yeah, exactly. everything I need to know. Right. And so, um, the, it's like an, it's like a, it's like an addiction. So it's now 2019 and I've been doing that since 2012. Basically. Right. And so the hard part is toning that back a little bit. So that's kind of where I'm at this year is, 
toning it back and then trying to figure out how to integrate everything that I've learned over the last two. And so, um, and then the other difficult part, like you said, is an addiction. You're addicted to learning, but you're also addicted to the people that are there. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, cause everybody that takes those courses signing up for it for the same reason you are, which means that you're very much like-minded people, which means that you're just making all these friends at every course that you go to because you're all doing the same stuff for the same reasons. Right. And so I found a way, I found a way around not slowing down and that's yeah. teaching. Yeah. So when you teach seminars, you would very much require you to integrate what you've learned and you don't know anything until you teach it. Right. So that's, that's a part of the conversation that I want to get to uh, kind of more towards the end, but I'm still, uh, so you, that's how you hooked up with uh, Philip Snell because Ben was really uh, uh, integrated with that guy as well. So then that I'm assuming is from like the DNS courses, right? So is, is that kind of how you guys got set up with that or? Well, I mean, um, well, I started the R2P, the Rehab to Performance Club at um, Western States in 2012. And Philip was a liaison to our club. So that's how our relationship started. And about a year later, I brought Ben on. And from that, Ben and I were basically little, little freaks. And we just like, we just changed the, the culture of the school to, yeah. accept, to accept rehab. And I really got to give props to Ben because he was a big workhorse behind it. Um, I mean, we did it together, but damn, that guy was, that guy was pivotal. I couldn't have, there's no way I could have done it by myself. Yeah. I don't think any one person could have done it by themselves. Right. Um, but um, so that's how I got associated with Philip and that's how we met. And eventually I started work. We started working together in 2014 when I graduated and I worked with him until the end of 2016. Okay. Yeah. So uh, if, if any of you, if any of your listeners don't know Philip Snow, it's definitely the go-to source. I think for low back pain, it's probably one of the most comprehensive looking at it from every angle aspect of low back pain that you can that you can possibly take and i've taken a lot i mean i've taken mcgill's courses i've taken peter sullivan's courses and none of them are as well-rounded right and, and applicable as philip's course right and uh you know i talked to him a few times i actually that's how i met ben ramos is when i took a dns exercise three in portland we took that together and then um he that's where I met Dr. Philip Snell. So I'm going to give the, I already gave you the background. So I'm going to give uh, our listeners a background as well. So I was listening to the Kabuki strength podcast with uh, uh, Dr. Philip Snell on it. And he was talking about this new thing that he was starting called yak, right? So yanking away pain. And so he started describing it. And I listened to that podcast probably five or six times before I was like, Oh, I understand what this means like this is that was one of those pivotal things those pivotal moments in my head where I was like mm, you probably don't need to mash on shit all the time because that's like what massage therapy is right so like hey this hurts I need deep tissue massage I'm like do you right because well, this works too so and and there's and there's different approaches to every problem right like what which is essentially what you were getting at with uh Dr. Snell's course, the Fix Your Own Back, where he has a comprehensive uh, look at every single angle of why you have low back pain so that you can approach it from multiple angles because it's not just the same every time, right? Oh. So, um, and then 
after I figured that out and it started clicking, then I get an email from him. And I'm like, how did I get an email from Dr. Snell? And I'm like, oh, this is the DNS course that I'm going to, and this guy's hosting it. Perfect. I can talk to him about it. And then he was actually one of my first podcast interviews because I think that that's really important information for, uh, you know, especially budding massage therapists to have because that education is so remedial and it's so kind of outdated. And I think that that's information that these people need to learn. Oh, it's, 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 yeah, it's great. Dr. Snow and I, we co-invented uh, YAP, what we called it at the time, now Dermal Traction. And that was a product of us back in like 2000, late 2013. And we didn't, we didn't start telling people about it because we were kind of like skeptical about like, is this too simple? Are we really just doing a placebo here? You know, we were really critical about ourselves on it. And then I was teaching a seminar. Uh, where the hell was I? I was in Toronto, Canada, and we were doing we were doing cases because I teach the clinical audit process, and we were doing cases of like how you would run through a clinical scenario, and it was obvious that what the person in front of me as I was demonstrating in front of the class was a was a yap presentation, and I just like I was just like screw it, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, and then I did I did some of the yap methodology and the and the person's pain and range of motion cleared up instantly, and they were able to do something they hadn't been able to do in like four years. And, and everyone in the class was just like, what the hell did you just do? And I I stopped and realized that the the context of the situation. And I was like, oh, like, then I had to go into about a half an hour discussion about what we just did. And I I didn't intend to teach in this, but blah, blah, blah. It goes along with the clinical audit process. And then, and then I just started integrating it bit by bit, um, into every course that I took. So the reason why we didn't meet at DNS three, which I was supposed to be there is because I was teaching a sem- seminar in like St. Louis or something. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was, so I was yeah, gone. Just, it kind of stumbling on all that stuff. And now it's like becoming this huge thing. Now that people see like cupping therapy on Michael Phelps and now it's a big deal and everybody's using cupping therapy, but they don't really, understand because it still kind of has that uh the chinese methodology where there's stuck chi and you're trying to clear it and stuff like that but what you're really doing and the way that i describe it to people is if you have a nerve that can't glide through the tissues like it should then it gets pissed off and irritated and so the way i tell them to imagine it is like if you're lying on the ground in a straitjacket and i start stomping on you you're going to be pretty pissed off but Mm -hmm. if i start pulling and providing you space to move better, then you won't be as freaked out. And so that's how I tell my clients about what cupping therapy is. That's that's pretty good. I might actually use that. I like that. That's a good one. It's all good. And so, you know, another uh, thing that I don't tell people that often is there was this kid that I was babysitting like 20 years ago that was such a freaking nightmare that I just paid this game called Burrito. And I just rolled him up in a blanket and sat on him until his parents came home because I couldn't figure out any way to handle him. So that was like, (laughs) (laughs) so that's essentially what's happening when the, when you have your, for whatever reason, your tissues are in in such a way that your nerve can't glide through the tissue. And that's what is causing that pain at that particular juncture. Right. And no, like this is no new, like yap is really actually not that 
out there the thought process because Michael Shacklock and David Butler have been teaching this right. for 20 years. It's just they apply it. They're just describing it from a macro perspective, think macro nerves being like the sciatic nerve, median nerve, the big ones. Right. We're applying the same concepts to cutaneous nerves in the skin, right. which have right. uh, which have similar processes, but a little bit different structure and and uh, and, and and that kind of thing. So it's it's just a different layer of an onion. Like it, you have to identify, you have to know your tissue stratas and know that you can have a problem at the deep layer. You can have a problem at the most superficial layer, aka the skin, and anything in between. And if you just lump it together as one tissue you're gonna then you're just gonna miss a huge portion of of issues and and um and that doesn't mean that you won't get people better because most people will get better regardless of what you do but it's the hard cases that nobody else can seem to help these people that you're going to be able to help them which is really where the value of what we do professionally comes in is is working with those people that have given up hope and lost lost their 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 confidence to be able to tackle this world and it it seeps into their relationships their emotional well-being and their and professionally as well generally yeah and then that's the the whole mindset of where these injuries place these people too because then they start to think that nobody can help them if they're going down like a lot of the traditional methods which is another thing that i wanted to touch on because you had mentioned that your girlfriend was just going to um the standard kind of chiropractic model and you know i'd like to preface this before i talk to practitioners like you because you know some for some people that works and that's great and then for other people not so much and so then like you guys are kind of at the forefront of shaking up this industry a little bit to where you're being more rehabilitational uh, professionals than just like kind of the standard chiropractic model, which I've had a problem with in the past, where you just go and tell them your problem, and then they do the same thing over and over again, and you're just not getting better, right? So um, I'm gonna uh, tell you my story real quick, and then I'll let you elaborate on it a little bit. Sure. So I was, um, uh, this was 2013, I was uh, walking down the stairs backwards, filming a guy who was walking down the stairs on his hands and I thought that I was on the last step but I was on the third step and I took a big step back and just wrenched my back and I took a two or three days off of training and was like well I feel pretty good and then like four days later I was doing a set of uh, three by five back squats and I had a pretty heavy load on there and I got down to the bottom of my fifth one in my first set and I was like mm, I should probably dump this and then I dumped it, and then I laid on the ground for about two and a half hours, not really able to move. And then it was my girlfriend, she's my wife now, but it was her birthday at the time, and I was like, well, I gotta man up and take this woman out to dinner for her birthday, but I could not walk. And so, you know, then I went to um, the chiropractor that I always go to, and I explained to him what happened, and I tell him, where it hurts and what's going on. And then he starts by adjusting my neck. And I'm like, oh, man, like this is, I can't walk right now. I don't give a shit about my neck. And then like four or five times later, I just kind of gave up on that dude. And then just started kind of um, going down like the 
stabilizing my core and, and using um, the Louis Simmons uh, reverse hyper and really starting to strengthen stuff that I wasn't really doing through the standard CrossFit model, which was what I was practicing at the time. And then eventually I just got better. But then it was kind of a nagging injury until I started going to massage school, until I graduated massage school and started going down this education path that I'm at right now, and then had more education of what was actually going on. So, um, yeah, let's speak on like how you practice and, and how you're helping people with that stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> well, I'd like to preface with like your story is very common, like a lot, why a lot of us get into this, um, learning crazy into is that you know the hard cases most people have difficulty with most and regardless of profession could be md pt dc lmt when it's a hard case it requires a little bit more than just steam cream there's more there's more there's requires a higher level of thought process to go on and that's and that's kind of what we're talking about here so so i got a little sidetracked with that but so how let's talk about the, the process which um i kind of think that needs to be addressed in, in, a, in a lot of um of social media so like there's there's a bit we're trying to bring in the whole rehabilitation idea into the chiropractic and from my vantage point we've been very successful there's an R2P club, Rehab to Performance Club, and every almost every every chiropractic school in the US and Canada. And even even overseas, there's been clubs in UK and that kind of stuff. Um, the only one we haven't been able to invade is the motherland. Um, <laughs> we tried we tried several times. And they even tried to bring me in for a seminar there and they shut it down hard. So uh, but anyways. So what we did is I think that we did a very good job of, of, of implying the importance of rehabilitation and patient self-empowering and giving people the ability to really take control of their, themselves by exercise. And for example, in Philip's class, what we teach, what he teaches, what I do in clinic and also teach in the clinical audit process, is it, it take that patient like yourself that had so much back pain, you were probably, you couldn't stand up because you had pain bending forward, right? No, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't sit, I couldn't like, so you know, I remember just sitting there, like trying to enjoy this dinner, just being like, oh my God, I can't sit. Like I had a, I was driving a retired cop car at the time because those are the greatest cars to ever drive. And um, I couldn't get in or out of it. Like I couldn't, you know, going from somebody who was uh, a competitive CrossFit athlete training you know, three to four hours of CrossFit a day to not being able to do anything. Like, and, and. Yeah, you're like a prime case of what, what Philip teaches in his class where he takes something like you that, that can't really do anything, educates you on how, what issues to exactly what injury issue is, is, is being um, irritated, how to unload it, how to treat it. And by the end of the first visit, we generally have people deadlifting 35 pounds from the ground without pain. Right. Now that's not to say that we're super smart or good coaches or anything like that. It's just we're following science. Right. So that, that value of teaching someone how to move in such a way that doesn't hurt themselves and doesn't make it worse to start the, to start the road to recovery 
is invaluable. And I think that's what we've, I feel, I feel like that's uh, what uh, Philip, myself, guys like Craig Levinson, Charlie Weingroff, um, and many, many others have really emphasized that, that, that self-empowerment, even the pain science crowd is, is all about this, that self-empowering, like I, I can fix myself perspective is absolutely pivotal in any patient. Right. Especially chronic pain and especially acute pain, because you need to get that mindset out of you that I'm broken and that I'm unfixable. Right. So they say I have a bad back. Now they've labeled themselves, and that's and that's and that's part of what we have to unravel. Now, part of what I'm trying to bring awareness to recent, more recently, is I think we've almost created kind of a monster in the fact that people are so dogmatic about exercise now. What I mean by that is like, I'm pretty damn proficient at exercise, like as far as like getting people out of pain with exercise. But there's still many, many cases that I see where I need to apply manual therapy to the, to the, the treatment soup to get them better faster or to just get them better at all. Right. So if, and, the, and this is where I'm kind of going with this, is like we, we, we need, the pendulum has swung so far to exercise only and I'm not disagreeing that that's not a valuable approach but it's but if, if you want to truly serve your purposes serve your patients we have to apply all of that together and you have to have a little bit of manual therapy in there especially very effective manual therapies like this like the fa- like anything in the fascial world that actually follows research right uh, and you combine that together and we can we can provide superior results to our patients. I'm kind of trying to make a little bit more awareness. And that was kind of the, where, the, the, uh, the mindset of all of the app is to kind of show it where it fits into an exercise approach. Yeah. You don't have to style it, you know, because the patient can do it by themselves at home. I mean, if you, I mean, we have personal trainers, like have the clients do it to themselves. Yeah. They're not allowed to do manual therapy. And the patients get the same results as, as I would be doing it. So that's kind of that's kind of my mindset now is I'm trying to like being dogmatic about anything in exclusivity is is troublesome and um, if you're truly following what I teach, which is results are what matter, then you're extremely limiting yourself if you do anything in, in exclusively. Does that answer your question? Yes. Yeah. And so uh, what then the other part of my statement on that that I usually like to talk to people about is like then that requires time with people right because you can't just spend like 10 minutes with this person and then 10 minutes with this person and see if it made a difference in their overall pain or functionality of their body and so you know that's kind of a and this is like my own personal bias but I see a lot of chiropractors especially in a small town where I'm from like Flagstaff Arizona where you know, all chiropractors are essentially kind of the same, doing the same thing. So then people just keep kind of going from one to the other, hoping for a different result. And then there's also PTs here that like they are working, they spend more time with people, but then they're working with like four or five people at a time. And so I think that's good in a, in a personal training situation, but not necessarily a rehabilitation situation. Well, I mean, I think that after leaving... I lived outside of the country. I didn't step foot on soil, American soil for almost, almost, it was like 13 months. 
And coming back here and, and being back in what we would call a first world country, like with systems that are obviously in place, going from a different place where like China, there's not really any systems. Nigeria, where I live, there was the lack of systems. There was no systems, no infrastructure. They're coming back to America where everything is like very tightly, the like systems that they work, they work. And, but um, what, what we're, we can't, I don't think we can blame the practitioners yeah exclusively because it's how they get paid from insurance companies correct so um but what i think is going to happen in the future and what i go through and talk about in all my courses the time is coming where evidence-based results are what you're going to get paid on right so for me particularly if an insurance company and i don't take insurance right now but if it went if, if an insurance company said this person has an acute lumbar disc herniation you get $800 to treat this back pain patient. I'm going to pay you that upfront and it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get them better. People that are doing what we're doing, we're going to make bank. Right. But if you're practicing in the old model, you're going to go broke. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. And so, yeah, like I said, that's just my own kind of personal bias and just how I've been working over the last couple of years. Like, I feel like you just need to be, okay, what'd you come in with? Let's watch you move. Okay, let's get you on the table. Maybe let's get you on the floor and then do some correctives in both of those places and then see how you move again. Are you moving better? Does it hurt? Cool. So we make some improvements and then we'll see how you do next time. And that's just like, like I said, my own personal bias and how that works and sometimes that model works for people. That's basically more or less what I'm doing, going with. What I was going with that is like this, these changes in the insurance companies are coming. Yeah. On Google, Facebook, all these places, they're becoming self-insured. They're not, so they're, they're having their own practitioners on in-house. If you guys want to check out any, look, check out the Lord brothers, Michael and Dan. They're, 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 they're on the forefront of this stuff. In five years time, this is going to be completely different. And then we're going to have a whole host of chiropractors and, and physical therapists that are going to have to take a whole bunch of a continuing education just to just to stay somewhat competitive yeah really interesting and so now i want to kind of like completely jump ship and uh talk about why you left the united states let's talk about that um well it was early 2016 i was working with philip i was i was 2016 was a crazy busy year for me um, I think I took, it was, it was ridiculous. I don't, I, looking back on it, I was like, man, I'm going to die at 50. <laughs> I mean, how many weeks are in a year? 52, 54? 52, yeah. Yeah, so I, I took or taught a seminar 40 weekends in 2016 because I was also teaching in a master's program, a sports master's program in Western States. Okay. So the, the China gig came up and I originally turned it down. I got asked um, by Altus to, to um, to uh, go work in China. I originally turned it down because I was happy and content. And Philip slapped me in the back of the head and been like, dude, go to China. This is a, you know, like a very once in a lifetime opportunity, like very unique. You've never traveled really that much. Cause like I said, I was a small town farm kid. Yeah. And um, so I went and, and um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a great needed, like just 
chill and enjoy life and I because I was so focused and um, and then, so I ended up working with the Chinese national team for track and field and many of their top athletes and uh, but do you have any questions specifically related to China? Uh, no, just like that's just something that has never really popped into my head. Like I would never think in a million years to just kind of go work in a foreign country. You know what I mean? Or like even travel to anywhere like that. So you know, I'm starting to make a lot more friends. Like um, I have a friend. Her name is uh, Jackie Wu, who teaches uh, neurokinetic therapy in Asia all the time. So she's always over there. And so it's just coming. It's like. And the more that education that I do, the more I kind of travel to get it. And mm -hmm. so I've been traveling all over the United States and even went to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia last year, went and checked that out. And so like these opportunities are opening to me to where I'm just like, oh, there's a planet out there. And what, what's that like? <laughs> you know, so what was it like just kind of working in China? Let's say that um, it was hard and it was amazing. Um, it was uh, because you know you're dealing with a different language you're dealing with a different culture and I really wasn't that cultured when I went there I hadn't really been exposed to um, that many different ways of thinking so I got lucky and I was in Shanghai which is kind of like an international hub of China so I met people from all over the world so <clears throat> and because it was like not many people spoke English like you walk into a bar or something and people that are English speakers will just invite you over to their table. Like, it's just kind of like, especially if you look lost. Like, you yeah. Know. So they'll just, they'll invite you over and ask, be like, hey, what are you doing here? Because, like, when I, like, in Shanghai, or I was in Guangzhou, when I was in Guangzhou, this is, what, this is the first three months I spent in China, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just walked down the street and find a, find an international bar, which you had to look up on, on, and they would just be very welcome. So you end up meeting people from all over the world, Australia, UK, Russia. I mean, anybody that speaks English, reason, you know, even reasonably well. And you just, you guys just, it's like a little support network. And, and from that, you really learn from all kinds of different, not only the Chinese culture, but you start learning cultures from all over different world. And you do a year of that and you really expose yourself to a lot of um, just different ways of thinking, which is extremely invaluable when you get back to the United States in clinical practice because you have a greater um, dynamic ability to, to hear people's stories and hear their perspectives and be able to relate to them or explain it in a way that they think so that you can help them get over whatever treatment goal you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's so interesting. And so when did you come back to the United States then? Was that the... I came back in uh, early 2018. Okay. And then you're in LA now, right? So you were in yep. uh, Portland first and then moved to LA, right? So uh, what, what brought you to LA then? Uh, it was Portland, China, Nigeria. I lived in Nigeria for three months, three or four months. I don't know. I don't even think about the, You lose track of time when you're not actually like working a Monday to Friday job. Yeah. And then LA. Okay. And so what brought you to LA then? What made you think that that was the place for you? Uh, my wife. Okay, so your wife is <laughs> yeah, happy wife, happy life. Yeah, I hear you. So, um, and uh, where are you working at there now? I work at um, with Yoav Nagar. He's a DNS instructor. Um, he's 
so I rent space from him. And okay. We're, we're kind of the Hollywood area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, one of my ex-girlfriends moved out there years and years ago, and just that it's so, you know, speaking about being from a small town, like Flagstaff's a pretty small town too, and then you go to somewhere like Hollywood and L.A. where – they have like different parts of town you like you're you're driving through town you're like oh this is the jewish part of town and then this is the asian part of town and this is the mexican part of town and it's just that was just so weird for me to kind of wrap my head around how there's different sects of like yeah totally totally you know and la is like a unique culture in the united states it's very unique is a great way to explain it i think it's a it's really interesting. Uh, people, I'll take a blunt. People, people suck, suck here. Yeah. Well, there's... Yeah, so, like, what Joe Rogan, I listen to Joe Rogan podcast a lot, he says that it's just because of the weather. Like, they don't have to deal with any adversity in the weather. And so he said that that's part of the reason why he thinks that LA people are so shitty for the most part is that they're just dealing with 70 to 75 degrees and sunny most of the time. I think it's because of the, I think it's because of people, the kind of person that generally comes to LA is they're trying to make it, they're trying to be famous. Yeah. So it's very, it's a very superficial way. The way people interact here, there's like no meaning behind it. It's a very, right. it's a very surface level conversation at all times. And right. anybody, and I talked to patients here, I was like, how long does it take to kind of feel like you live here? And they're like, oh, three years. Yeah. Well, it takes three years to establish a friend network that you don't hate. Right, in LA. and 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 it's 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 a very people come and go here. Like, yeah, it's very rare that I meet someone that was born and raised in LA. Right, everyone's coming in, kind of chasing the Hollywood dream, trying to basically try to try to make something happen. Everyone here, everyone you meet here is a, is a like a model or something. And I'm like, so it's super weird. So like the people that have like the $500 dress shirt and drive a BMW but live in like a studio apartment kind of a person or you know there was we even oh. stuff that like a Target and the lady that checked us out had like all of the plastic surgery that you could possibly imagine and you're working at Target like what's your what's your yeah. plan you know that's kind of the mindset here I mean to each his own whatever makes them happy um, right. I, and I'm not and I wouldn't say I hate it here because my wife, my wife is here and I'm happy with my wife. I just don't, I just do, I just, I just do good work and, and I hang out with my wife and like, that's all I really need in life right now. Right. And it's, but it's interesting how alone you can feel in a place where there's millions and millions of people. I mean, we're, we're here for a purpose. My wife is a, right. one of the top um, singers from Nigeria. Okay. So we're, we're here specifically for music for her. Right. So there's a purpose behind it. So I don't really care about, all that other stuff because I it's not doesn't matter to me. So. Yeah, I uh, so I went to massage school in San Diego and um, then started going back intermittently and then ultimately ended up moving there for uh, to keep going to school and keep continuing that education. But it's just like one of those other places where you know you're just kind of there and you're by yourself, but with millions of people. It's just a really kind of interesting thing that I've noticed but since uh you know since I've been doing a lot of education courses in San Diego then I you know met Ben and I realized that he lived there and just now I have a whole host of friends because we all do the same stuff but right, you just got to find your tribe it's the same yeah. thing 
it, it's the same thing anywhere. It's just a little bit harder in Southern California to find your tribe. Yeah, there's a lot of people there. It's a really interesting. So, um, what are your what are your plans for the future then? My plans for the future are um, I don't know, kick ass, take names, that kind of thing. I no. like it. Um, just continue to pro 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 progress myself professionally. Um, continue to just be the best clinician that I can be. Con continue to mentor and influence other clinicians to be the best that they can be. Uh, not that I, I, not that I'm pretending at all that I have all the answers, because I don't. If somebody says they do, they're full of shit. Um, but more or less, I've just been exposed to a lot of different ways to think clinically yeah. in sports and in chronic pain and and I wouldn't even pretend like I understand all of those everything but the awareness awareness of what you don't know or just awareness that other things are out there it's like awareness of different cultures I mean you can literally compare different treatment styles and different ways of thinking clinically to different cultures around the world right it's just a different way like if you have a problem it's just a different way of attacking that problem it doesn't mean that one's more right than the other the only thing that we really have to base off of whether or not it's a legitimate strategy is whether or not it works right whether that's, it works for the reason they say is irrelevant right so that's the that's really interesting that you say that because like the the more you learn the more you realize you don't know you know what i mean and then the people that you learn from just know that one thing more than you do and so, like, when you're saying that, you know, you really want to be a mentor, then the reality is, and you just have to focus, is that you know more than most people. And so you can, like, what I consider my mentors, like, um, are the ones that are just like, hey, I learned this, and this is where you go to learn it. You know what I mean? So then they point me in different directions in how to accumulate my own knowledge. Yeah, totally. And I don't even go about it like I'm a mentor, like I know more than you, so you should listen to me. Right. More from a standpoint of I've, I've been involved in continuing education, both myself professionally, running Rehab to Performance, where I was responsible for um, determining what was on the certification and not what was a quality product, and interacting with many seminar pre um, presenters. And what most people get, most people fall into these camps of thinking. Like, I'm going to do Spina's work. I'm going to be a pain scientist. I'm going to be an ART guy. And the only thing that I try to bring to the table is that every single one of those have, has value at a specific period of time. But if you try to integrate any technique, and I don't give a shit what it is, and I've learned a lot of different techniques, if you try to integrate that one technique to all your patients, you're sure to run into trouble doesn't matter what it is. Right. And everybody needs different things. I mean, you may be able to address that patient in 12 weeks using that technique. Right. Distinguish between your treatment and time. Right. And then ethically, are you really doing anything but just collecting money? Right. Yeah. And that, you know, the, I did all the, uh, speaking of Spina, I did all his stuff this year. I did a FRC and Kin Stretch. And that was really a, a big message for me that I needed to hear at that time. Because like I said, I, I spent a lot of time in the CrossFit space where you're just doing everything in that sagittal plane of movement. 
And so there's all these, you know, the way he describes it, dark spaces in your movement, which is why people tend to get injured in the CrossFit is because they're not, they're only strengthening their shoulder here. They're not coming out here or, you know, they're not doing the full plane of motion of the shoulder. Which is completely logical. Right. Logical. Right. And so, um, but then like trying to figure out, like we've been discussing how to integrate everything so that you can work on as many people as possible because everybody needs different stuff. So from a, from a different perspective, and that's where I make the argument of like, you got to integrate everything. If you, could, if you only train here and you don't train here and you can't get here very easily, is that a true tissue limitation or do they just have a median nerve that's being neurodynamically, mechanically sensitive, we'll say. Right. And, and you just do one day of neurodynamics or something to do to the neck and then you open it up and then you train it. You just saved six weeks of isometrics. Right. That doesn't mean you don't do it, but from a time perspective, you're not you're not truly in my in my opinion, doing right. the best job that you can for the patient because you're lim limiting their progression by six weeks. Yeah. But yeah. other people will make an argument. So that's all I try to bring to the table is like we need, we need to apply the right tool for the right job and not one single technique, not one single system has all the answers. And I'm, I don't think ever there ever will be one. Right. And so just my whole thing is just coming up with your own unique thing that works best for you and your patients and your clients. Sure. sure. And, and as long as you're using results as your metric, your, 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 your yardstick, your measuring stick, then, and that's, then that's all any of us can really do. Right. So now I want to talk about uh, rehab to performance a little bit more. Um, so if you could, um, elaborate on what that is for people that don't know. And then um, let's talk about, uh, once you elaborate on that a little bit, talking about how you kind of got to coaching and teaching your own courses. Uh, okay. Uh, Rehab to Performance is basically a society of people um, that are like-minded in the area of rehab. It's, it's, it's what we call bridging the gap, which is really, ever, you know, whatever. Everyone uses it now, but it, it does describe it. You have the rehab crowd, which is more my domain, more like pain-based methodology. And then you have the sports science crowd, which would be more like people like Patrick Ward, and strength coaches. And, that kind of thing. and there's this huge overlap between the two. So how, do you, when, how and when do you pass that baton from rehab to performance? And these two people need to be talking to each other on every step of the process right. and, they, and they occur at the same time so it's basically just a community of people that understand that it's it's a continuum and and need to work together so that's the whole idea is you bring together clinicians and people that work primarily in just training so that we can have a, a better overall process for a patient maybe it's the op opposite it's the opposite perspective. You have the performance route. You have a, a person that's not an injury at all. And then the rehab guy is just helping with injury prevention. There's not very good um, research or, or just maintenance of tissues or something. Right. Yeah. And then once there is an injury, now this guy takes the, the baton and then gradually works to get back to the performance guy as fast as possible. Right. Because there's a balance between everything, right? So there's, you like, I call it injury mitigation because you can't really prevent injury because shit, shit happens. Right. Uh, and so, um, 
just getting the balance between the two to where people are constantly kind of going from one to the other and staying within that adaptation zone so that they're constantly moving forward within their athleticism. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, so that's the, that's the whole idea behind reactive performance. Um, and the way I started teaching, um, basically it was because I was asked to, um, I started teaching in, um, the sports master's program at UWS university of Western States chiropractic school. Um, I was asked by Dr. Craig Kaoka to come, come teach the rehab class. Um, so to give context in that, I, I, three months after I graduated, I was, I was, I was a adjunct faculty teaching people that I went to school with. So it was really kind of weird. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. So I was teaching, um, basically how to rehab people with back pain, neck pain and teaching that course. And from there it kind of spread to, um, um, internationally, that kind of thing. People just started asking. Other R two E club presidents started uh, asking me to come teach them what I what I knew, uh, and I was like, sure. Yeah. And then it kind of just mushroomed from there, and now we're four years later, and I'm still teaching. I have a course coming up next month in Portland, and then in Toronto in October, and probably a few others here and there that haven't been scheduled, but. Um, yeah, that's kind of uh, more or less. Yeah, so that's a thing that I'm really interested in pursuing in the future. I, I feel like I still need um, a little bit more time to kind of perfect my craft and, and, well, not perfect, you know, get more efficient what I'm doing. So, uh, you know, like Tony Robbins says, perfection is a very, very low standard because it doesn't exist. Um, so... Uh, really just get more efficient at what I'm doing, but eventually kind of just retire into teaching because I feel like I can just teach indefinitely. Um, and, you know, there's just so much uh, knowledge out there that I feel like I need right now. So I'm really just kind of uh, reading and uh, learning and asking people like you to be on my podcast so I can ask the questions that I feel like I need to ask and, and you know, just kind of moving down that path. But then there's people like, uh, you know, like, um, our mutual friend, uh, Dr. Philip Snell, and then uh, another guy that I follow pretty closely is uh, Dr. Perry Nicholson. And you just start talking to these guys, and they just have such an insane amount of knowledge. And they're not even, you can just tell just by talking to them that they just, they're not, there's so much depth there that they probably just forget shit that is, that you probably want to know. You know what I mean? Like it's just, they, but then you look at them and they're so high up that cliff, right? And then you just realize that they've been doing what you're doing longer than you have. And so you just got to keep kind of going down that path that you're going. And then eventually you start to be that person to where people look up to you for the knowledge that you got. Yeah, speaking of that domain, I mean, you take courses with these guys and then um, most, most nerdy people will tell you the real learning happens when you get a beer or two in the instructor afterwards. Right. Like, on you like kind of the, the the real stuff about how how things fit together and like you know things that, that 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 would make it confusing for a crowd to teach during a course and then you just do it you have a conversation outward and you're like yeah that's great and then and it, well you know and then they can piece it together a little bit easier for you so if you ever go to a seminar try to hang out with that instructor maybe not get sloshed on a friday night when you have a course on saturday <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so there's a, um, another thing that I like talking about is, you know, with all these courses, just the, through the people you meet, just even like, so when I started taking the DNS courses, I already did um, quite a bit of extensive research on my own. So I pretty much had the, the basic kind of underlying knowledge of what I was trying to get out of the course. Right. So then by the time I get there, you know, you have, um, they're instructing and you're like, okay, yeah, I got that. That's what I read. That's what I learned. That's what I heard. And, but then you go to lunch with some of these people and these people are phenomenal and they have their own ideas of how to apply it to their own practice and then how you should apply it to yours. And then you go to dinner with those people and then you go to, you know, have breakfast with these people and then have coffee with these people. And then that's where I feel like a lot of my learning happens and a lot of my connection happens is in the gaps of these education courses. Indeed. Indeed. Absolutely. That's um, that's the value. So when you go to these courses, really get as much as you can out of them. You yeah. know, not at all of it occurs from nine to five when you're taking the course. Right. And so like when, for instance, when I went to the, the, the DNS three, like they took us to that little food truck village. that's like kind of right around the corner from, it's like a mile away from where the course is being held. Yeah. And, Love that. and so I just made sure that I sat behind Dr. Snell or sat next to him so that I could just hear what he was talking about, you know, because then people started asking him questions and then he just started to start going off on stuff. And then I started learning a bunch of stuff that's outside of the DNS course. And it was just, yeah. If you want to be part of a good conversation, just get uh, myself, Philip and Ben in a, in, a, in a room with beer and just see the shit that we say. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> if I could make that happen sometime within the next couple of years, I'm all about it. Because, uh, you know, every time I talk to Ben, man, he just, like, I could probably have that guy on a podcast, like, once a week, you know, and every oh, yeah. time every time I go to uh, San Diego, we end up just talking for hours, you know, like, so the I had him on my podcast um, last April and then um, I had a had him on the podcast on a Monday and then I was traveling out to San Diego for a course on a Wednesday and then we met up for dinner that Thursday and talked for another two hours on top of that to the point where he's like I gotta go or my girlfriend's gonna be all pissed off if I don't just like not show up you know but he's just like one of those people that you could just talk to forever and I love that guy but it's like He's very willing to share, and that's that's why Ben and I got along so well. Is because it wasn't about like I'm going to be smarter than you, or you're going to be smarter than me. It's like let's get better together, and ultimately right. it's going to help us. You know, teamwork makes a dream work, kind of thing. Yeah, so that's why you know I connect with that with him and and you so well is because there's just so much information, and we just need to share it. So like you know the we started the nerd strong book club, which is basically like, Hey, tell me what you're reading so I can read it. And then I'll tell you what I'm reading. So I can read it because I'm just like super obsessed with like getting as much information as I can. So uh, part of the background on that is like just trying to go through the traditional education system and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And then all this stuff that was kind of like forced down my throat that I didn't really feel like I needed to learn. And, you know, like going to, um, like English 202, my English 202 teacher was like obsessed with Othello and made us read 
three different Othello books and then watch like two different movies. And I'm like, this is not what I need. And so now that I can, I'm in charge of my own education and I can learn whatever I want. I'm super obsessed with it. I'm trying to read as much as I can and take as many courses as I can and watch as many videos as I can and listen to as many podcasts as I can. And then I start talking to Ben and he's like, Hey man, this isn't a race. I'm like, I'm not racing. I'm just trying to like, I'm super pumped on what I'm accomplishing where I'm going. And I just need to learn as much as I can so I can get there. You know, I just have this vision in my head and like, these are, so then I start to attach myself to these people that I deem as successful and then take little pieces of them and try to make my own unique thing out of it. Yeah, that's what we all do. That's what we all do. Yeah. Well, man, we're getting, we're getting an hour into this podcast. So let's, is there any specific questions you wanted to ask me? Cause I don't want to just drag your listeners. So no, I think we're, I think we're pretty good. That was a really fun conversation. So uh, let's uh, talk about where people can find you and uh, find information on you. Um, the, the primary place that you can probably find thing is on my personal website, drjustindean.com. I, I kind of write, currently right now, I'm kind of writing on there from like a general patient population perspective. I think there's a huge gap in, in, in that area. I'm trying not to get too technical. So if you, if you want good information related on how you could maybe describe this to a patient, that's, kind of, that's the way I'm kind of writing right now. I don't have a lot of content out yet, um, but there'll be more and more coming. As well as I have many case studies on there of me treating uh, my front page and, or on Instagram at Dr. Justin Dean. Um, at any time anybody wants to ever email me, um, just reach out, Dr. Justin Dean at Gmail. And I'm an open book and I'll definitely get back to you and, and you give me a phone call and I'll, uh, I'll uh, give you the best advice I can in that, about what's specific to your goals. And Perfect. There. Um, and what books are you reading right now? Uh, what books am I reading? That's a good question. I'm, I'm actually, <clears throat> I'm, I'm studying anatomy hardcore again um, because I kind of, I want to get back into the specifics of it. I, and that's kind of what's catching my interest nowadays. Now, right now is kind of getting back to like real specific anatomy so that I <clears throat> am much more proficient on it than I am currently. But I would say from a reading perspective, that's kind of what my, my focus has been the last month. Um, it has been I'm going into my fifth year of practice and I haven't really reviewed anatomy yeah. extremely detailed since I graduated. So I'm, I'm kind of going back through now, going back through the entire human body. And so that's what I'm focusing on right now. Cool. Right on, man. Well, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it.